Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That fear-mongering is at the heart of all right-wing media, all right-wing politics. It fuels this irrational fear. And so what actually happens is that right-wing white Americans, more or less, are living in a fear state. And they believe at any moment that they could die, they could be abused, they could be destroyed. That apocalyptic like horizon is always over in the corner. So anything they do, again, is rationalized. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. My guest today is Jared Yates Sexton, a political analyst and author. His book, The Midnight Kingdom, examines how white supremacist lies, religious mythologies, and poisonous conspiracy theories built the modern world and threatened to plunge us into an authoritarian nightmare Jared, what a way to start the morning. Welcome. You know, I I always love it whenever we have to talk about this stuff. Like, I want to be in a good mood. I want to have a good time. Meanwhile, we have to talk about all this nonsense. Well, I have been dying to talk to you in particular because we've had a a host of experts on the show talking about Christian nationalism. You are the first to talk about America itself as a pseudo-religion, and it's a fascinating concept. And the more I've thought about it, the more my own experience growing up validates it. Basically, in their mythologizing of America, conservatives have built their own golden calf. Is that more or less your thesis? Yeah, and and it's really disturbing when you start actually dismantling what what has happened here. Um, You know, I've been trying to understand over the last few years, I sort of got thrown into the deep end of the pool during the Trump years, trying to understand exactly how we had arrived there. And I needed to sort of update, you know, my, my conventional understanding of history. And what I eventually came around to was that America, because, you know, it's had hegemonic control since World War II, and particularly since the fall of the Soviet Union, it sort of controls the gravity of reality. The story of America is what sort of holds everything together, which is one of the reasons we're having uh, some of the problems that we're having right now. But basically, America has been imbued with a mythological energy. The idea that conservatives, right-wing people, and even some people who don't even realize it have sort of uh, come to believe is that God or the universe has imbued America with the energy of all that is good. And as a result, anything that we do or whatever serves the purpose of whatever agenda, it's rationalized, right? We can hurt whoever we want. We can break whatever laws we want. We can do whatever we want. And it also, weirdly enough, for the individual, like a Christian nationalist or a right-wing extremist, 
it means that whatever they do is okay. They can hurt other people. They can legislate over other people's bodies. They can, you know, basically destroy democracy before our very eyes. And all of it has the sheen of some sort of uh, mythological universal power. It is, it's a really weird mindset, but it goes a really long way towards explaining what's going on. There's an apocalyptic element as well, which has always been part of the American version of Christianity, but it seems to be flaring these days. The eschatological conversation is dominant in churches these days. Trump is intimately tied into conversations about the end times. Where does this apocalyptic strain in American, especially modern uh, evangelical Christianity in America come from? Well, I mean, it starts in Europe. You know, with, with everybody who ends up coming to America, they're absolutely terrified by uh, what's going on around them. You know, there's a ton of religious tumult. They have to leave, basically, in order to practice their own religion and save themselves. Then all of a sudden, they end up in America. And that is an apocalyptic wilderness to these people. You know what I mean? Like, behind every corner, it's not just indigenous people, it's Satan. It's literally the devil is in the forest coming for them. And what's weird about that is it continues as we move west, right? The entire time, every foot that we move west, like, it's again, the devil is in the wilderness. We're, We're facing, like, basic extinction unless we do whatever we need to do. That mindset, manifest destiny, if you want to call it that, this American exceptionalism, which is what it's turned into as we've started to sort of take over the world, so to speak, that apocalypticism, it, it, it absolutely energizes everything because, and this is, again, what's happening with white Americans, what's happening in MAGA, what's happening with Christian nationalism, it basically says to people, win at all costs, because if you don't win, you're done right? Like if you literally sat down with a lot of right-wing Americans in this country, they believe that if they don't overthrow an election or overthrow the government, that they're going to be sent to camps. They literally believe their guns are going to be taken away. Their families are going to be split up. Their kids are going to be indoctrinated. That fear-mongering is at the heart of all right-wing media, all right-wing politics. It fuels this irrational fear. And so what actually happens is that right-wing white Americans more or less are living in a fear state. And they believe at any moment that they could die, they could be abused, they could be destroyed. That apocalyptic like horizon is always over in the corner. So anything they do, again, is rationalized. And who's the devil today? Because there's no more wilderness. Oh, it's everybody. We, we Well, that's okay. the amazing thing. Is The more that I look at it, the more that I think about like how essential the war on terror was in all of this, right? And if you remember after 9-11, your neighbors could be part of Al-Qaeda, right? Like there, there might be terrorist sects inside of your small rural town. They might be coming after the water tower, you know? Like that idea has sort of continually churned. It started with uh, communism. You know, it started with the, and then you move into the idea that Japanese Americans might turn against us. And there's always this internal threat. And eventually what happens is it sort of eats the country from the inside out. So now it's not just the devil. It's not the devil coming in and possessing people's souls. It's agents of the devil. This is why we're dealing with satanic cabals. This is why the QAnon conspiracy theory is there. You're not having a political battle right? You're not, you're not deciding what should be funded. You're not deciding where money should go, you know, what direction we should go in. What you're doing is you're fighting an apocalyptic battle. You're literally fighting a war against Satan. And these people are satanic, which is why people like Alex Jones and the people who are now like borrowing his rhetoric, they are always talking about satanic evil because that means, again, you can do whatever you want as long as, you know, you're saving yourself and the people you love. You go all the way back to the Roman Empire to show how that apocalyptic narrative has been 
exploited to further entrench Christianity. Yeah, you know, when when I wrote The Midnight Kingdom, I, I wanted to go back and I wanted to relearn modern history, you know? And, like, I got back there and immediately I found QAnon conspiracy theories, which blew my mind. Like, I was absolutely shocked that I'm, like, in ancient Rome. But here's the kicker. It was Christians that were being blamed for being satanic cabals, right? Because they were practicing in the darkness. They were abusing children. They were, you know, doing dark, dark things that couldn't be seen. But eventually what happens, and this is actually part of a cycle that that if you notice, you can start to predict it, which is why I'm, I'm personally very worried about what's going on. And also, every single day brings new evidence that this is happening. These cycles of power repeat each other. And when you start to bring in the ideas of Christianity, these sort of like uh, mythological elements that we're discussing, when they heat up, and when you start talking about satanic cabals, you start talking about these conspiracy theories, you start talking about winning at all costs, that coincides with major political, economic, and socioeconomic problems. And so what ends up happening is that those stories that we're talking about, they continue. I, I traced it through Rome. I traced it through uh, millennia, basically, from ancient Rome, you know, all the way to the invasion of Ukraine. They're the same stories that keep getting told because they further power. And as they further power, things change, but they always sort of remain the same. And the, the situation that we're in right now mirrors these other situations where authoritarian energies built and built and built and then eventually push things further to the right and oppressed people. You write this in The Midnight Kingdom, and I think it's a, a fantastic distillation. <clears throat> Fascist movements both created the appearance of a new religion while sanctifying sacrifice. They told men they should embrace patriarchy and the sacrifice of labor, while women should embrace their roles in the kitchen and in the home for the good of the nation. This is the whole point. This is politics or a political movement co-opting religion, sanctifying the state to create a power structure that perpetuates that movement. Yeah, and what happens is eventually things start to break down. I know it's not going to be a surprise to you or your listeners and viewers, but like th things are not going great. America's in trouble right now. Like, you know, the, the, the sort of the America that we thought that we were going to get or that we thought that we lived in is sort of falling apart. And when that reality that you and I were talking about earlier starts to fragment a little bit, you need to replace it with something else, right? So you and I could have a discussion about, I don't know, social justice, about actually making things fairer, actually reforming things. Or the right comes in and says, no, we need to renew the old things, right? We need to go ahead and bring back that old-time religion. On top of that, it's very strange, right, that every time you start talking about these conspiracy theories and you start talking about these new authoritarian religions, such as Christian nationalism, MAGA, you name it, it is always based on the power center being a white male, the patriarchal white male in charge of a family. It's always strange how that happens and how like that, you know, gives them more power and centers them at the, at the center of everything. But what you end up finding is that authoritarian movements, whether it's the fascists, it's the Nazis, whether it's people before them, and I mean, the Confederates in America, right? What they always do is they take religion and then they, they dive into it and then they twist it, right? They start turning it into their own story of how they are, uh, they are correct and they should have all the power, which is, again, what is happening with MAGA, with Christian nationalism, with authoritarianism around the world right now. You just used the phrase authoritarian religion. And I would love to pick that apart because authoritarianism itself is the culprit. And it might be a at least an outwardly a religious regime. Yep. If you look at Stalinist Russia, 
even better example is Kim Il-sung's invention of modern North Korea all the way down to Kim Jong-un. And that is, you know, on the surface, an atheistic state, but it is just as religious in its conception of authoritarianism as what we're seeing evolve in in the U.S. Yeah, you know, I, I was actually really shocked when I was researching the Midnight Kingdom and I got to Stalin. And I realized they created their own religion. It was yes. Vladimir Lenin. Like, they turned Vladimir Lenin into Christ. And, and actually, all the stories from Stalin were, Lenin will rise again. We will create the technology and, and innovate things that Lenin will rise again. Meanwhile, Stalin is like, I'll take it from here. You know, I'll be the center of this religion. But actually, what's, what happens is religion is the shortcut. In the United States, I, I grew up in an evangelical home in, in southern Indiana. And, and back in the 1980s, you know, every service I was at was talking about the New World Order. It was talking about conspiracy theories. It was talking about satanic cabals back in the 1980s, 1990s. People are prepared for this stuff. It's a, it's, it's a shortcut. It's a cheat code. It's a hack, right? And basically, you come along and you say, the New World Order, the Deep State, the QAnon cabals. You say those things, it activates an entire framework of understanding, right? People have been prepared for this for a very long time. You can cultivate your own religion, which is what's happening, right? You can go ahead, and, and the Nazis, the fascists did this as well. You know, Nazism starts with positive Christianity. Fascism starts with the Catholic Church. What you do is you take that, that framework that people have and and you use it, you abuse it, you pervert it, and you turn it into its own thing. And eventually it takes off as its own religion. Cultural decadence or the perception of cultural decadence in America seems to be the provocation that is triggering this, this response on the right. I think a lot has been written about that. I don't think you disagree with that. The part that really is jarring to me is their selection of Donald Trump as the standard bearer to fight back against cultural decadence. How do they square those two? Uh, they, they just simply don't. <laughs> I mean, that the amazing thing about it is, if you actually listen to Donald Trump, it's amazing for all of the flags of him, like on Rambo's body, or like these memes of him as like some sort of a powerful warrior. This is a New York socialite who likes to talk about like gossip. He likes to talk about, you know, Broadway musicals. They simply throw that out the same way, of course, that the Nazi uh, party threw out the, the fact that Adolf Hitler, their great warlord, was an artist right? It's simply the idea that they, they need something there. And if you take a look at all of this, that, that degeneration idea, fascists love this idea of, of what's called kiklos, which comes back, you know, uh, from ancient Greece. This idea that like, oh, things have degraded, right? And you'll notice that whenever you talk about things being degraded, it always has the same things. Women have more power, right? They're allowed in the workplace. They're allowed to have their own independent lives. Gay and trans people, and this was the exact same, again, in Europe in the early 20th century. It's the exact same before that. Gay and trans people are suddenly allowed to live authentic lives. All of a sudden, compassion and empathy is at the heart of things. The economy starts moving towards more information and collaborative ideas. The world starts working together. And that is blamed because, again, surprise, surprise, the white male and that aggressive maleness is not at the center of it. So they don't care who does it. They don't care if that person wears a uniform and they've never worn a uniform before. They don't care if that person is like strong or weak or whatever. Whoever goes ahead and plays that card, they're ready to go. Well, your framing of cultural decadence might help explain 
the elevation of Trump as the the bastion against it, because you pointed to increasing rights for gay and trans people for uh, for women. I can't remember if you left out race, but that's probably at the top yep. of the deck when it comes to changes that the other side would describe as 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 decadent and a marker of American decline. And on every count, Trump is a champion for a 50s or 60s vision of America, which puts women back in the kitchen uh, and and puts minorities in their place and ignores or persecutes gay and trans people. Maybe he is the the standard bearer that 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 actually isn't hypocritical in his approach. Yeah, and and that's what matters at the end of the day. And and I'm glad you brought up the 1950s because, you know, it, it whenever like in conventional history, whether it's like CNN or Time Life or whatever it is, you look at the 1950s, it's always sort of like the nuclear family in the suburbs and everything's great. Like nobody's fighting, nobody's doing whatever. Meanwhile, just out of frame are people of color who are, you know, just absolutely being held down. Over here are women who are living lives where they're being oppressed. And over here are gay and trans people who can't live their lives, right? They want to go back to that. They, it, it is very much a thing where they believe, make America great again. They never say it explicitly. They want to go back to the time where that sort of ecosystem was in place, right? Before civil rights, before the social revolutions of the 60s and 70s, quote unquote, upset everything. They want to get back there at any cost. And Donald Trump is a great avatar for that because what he tells them is that their desire for that isn't wrong. This is the amazing truth of Donald Trump. This is what does it. The reason why he was able to gain power wasn't because he asked for more from people. He asked less from people. He said, you don't have to be a good person. You don't have to, you know, interrogate your privilege. You don't have to interrogate why you feel bad things. Those people who tell you those are bad things, they're wrong. You're actually a realist. And it's not just that Donald Trump is telling them they're not wrong. He's telling them they are righteous for wanting to return to the 50s, to that era where you had racial hierarchies, where you had very clearly defined roles. He has fed the the religious fervor that upholds that. Yeah, and I'll tell you something that's really odd for me. I, I am surrounded by people, family, neighbors, people I love and care about who just have absolutely gone down the MAGA rabbit hole. You know, I, I've seen people that I love and care about just absolutely advocate some of the worst things imaginable. But I'll tell you something else. They did it before Trump. It was quieter. And they did it behind closed doors. And they did it with hushed tones. They didn't say it in public. They didn't rally around it. They didn't make it their political identity. What Trump did was he threw open that door. And not only did he make it acceptable for them to have a political identity to do this, he also, and this is a key thing a lot of people miss, he made it their consumer identity. He made it a thing where they could express their fantasy selves. This is why you go around all the time now and you see, you know, grown-ass men wearing shirts that say, come and take my gun. Or you better be ready for a fight if you're coming for my gun. They've got it all over their trucks. They're big, giant trucks that they're buying to express their fantasy selves. What he has done is he has given people a fantasy identity that can work against what they're afraid of, which is this. They feel powerless. And because they feel powerless, they need an expression that says, I'm very powerful. I, I'm a warrior and I'm fighting on the front lines. And meanwhile, all they have to do is give their money you know, to Trump and people like him. Oh, it's entirely about compensating. Yes. When a political movement like MAGA becomes quasi-religious, how important is the profit 
to sustaining that? How important is is Trump himself? Because I'm I'm very conflicted on this. You go through history and you see examples of of movements led by someone who who dies or disappears in other ways, and the movement fades. In other cases, the movement exists independent of of its provocateur. What are we experiencing? We are in a hinge point. Uh, Donald Trump absolutely has a role as a prophet to the the MAGA movement. But here's the thing, and and when we're talking about this politics, we also have to understand that Donald Trump is not cooking up these ideas. You know, he's not he's not working late into the night creating Project 2025. You know, this is created by a bunch of right-wing billionaire donors who want to destroy democracy, who fund one think tank and institute after another in order to create all of these plans, all of these agendas. Here's the thing, though. They don't have control over MAGA. Trump does, right? He's up in front of it. He's the one that gives them the figurehead. We don't know what's going to happen. There basically was an attempt to transplant the MAGA movement over to Ron DeSantis. Guess what? Ron DeSantis has all of the charisma of a, as a bag of fingernails, right? Like, this guy couldn't do it. And this is why he started off his campaign with over a quarter of a billion dollars and burnt through all of it. They don't know who can do what Trump does. That doesn't mean that somebody can't. That doesn't mean that somebody won't take the torch and run with it. I'm telling you right now, they are reverse engineering this thing with all of their might. They're trying to find somebody besides Donald Trump to lead this thing. But it, right now, he he's, he's, he's got complete control over it as of right now. Do you think he's the kind of singular figure that will be, it'll be hard to find a replacement for? I mean, I haven't encountered anything like him in in the American political tradition. Part of that is is that he's such a rare personality, that narcissistic, that psychopathic. It is difficult for people like that to rise as high as Donald Trump has. It was just kind of a perfect storm of family money and, and geography and other forces that propelled him, celebrity. Can that be replicated? I don't know. I, I I always hesitate to say this because there's one element of it that really frightens me. And and actually, with the GOP primary kind of coming into to view the way that it is, um, I'm getting really worried because the one missing element from the the Trump storm is starting to lock into place. That's American militarism. That is somebody who can appeal to, you know, sort of America's military uh, history and identity. Trump can't. You know, he dodged Vietnam. He has no respect for the military whatsoever. He's actually kind of afraid to use the military. It's weird, actually, his relationship with it. If they can find somebody who is as shameless as Donald Trump, which, good luck with that. Good luck trying to find somebody who lacks basic human shame. I mean, his superpower all along, we know this is that he didn't respect any of the institutions and he exposed them as as brittle or non-existent, right? So he has sort of laid out the trail simply by like just running every way and, and messing things up. I think there are people out there who could do this. I think there are people who could take the helm of it, but it it, it would take somebody, like you said, there there is a weird recipe here that sort of has to be followed. But if you start locking in those other elements of it, including militarism, I I I I really shudder to think about where that could go. It sounds almost like you're teeing up Mike Flynn to to carry this torch. Did I did I misread that? You know, Mike Flynn, I think, has played a role particularly within the QAnon community. The other part of it, though, is I, I don't know if you've spent much time like watching Mike Flynn. Mike Flynn is really off-putting. 
You know, uh, he's he's no Ron DeSantis, but th- there is something very strange about him that, like, it just doesn't sort of hit. Um, unfortunately, because of what I do and the research I do, I've watched way too many Mike Flynn speeches, um, and they are um, abysmal. I'll just say that. I, I, You know, like you said with Donald Trump, it needs some type of a showbiz factor because that's another part of this MAGA movement. These people want to be entertained by it. They want the cruelty to be fun, right? They want to engage in ritual abuse that makes them feel better about who they are and what they're going through. I don't know if it's Flynn. I know Flynn wants to be that guy. I mean, he is he's definitely made a decent amount of money and, and built enough clout off of it. But um, yeah, there's something very weird about Mike Flynn. Most clothes are uncomfortable or too tight or never actually the size you really are, not to mention the annoyance of trying to put a good outfit together. Everyone wants to dress their best and look good at all times because, frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Their commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man. They help you get ready for any occasion with the Roan Commuter Collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan Commuter Collection. Their four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. With Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. I absolutely love Roan. It's comfortable yet professional and has truly become my favorite clothing brand. We're on the move a lot, whether it's jumping from meeting to meeting or catching a flight or an important dinner. The Roan commuter collection has never let me down. The versatility and overall comfort of the collection is undefeated. Even after I wear it all day, I still feel super fresh because of that Gold Fusion anti-odor technology. The commuter collection can get you through any workday, and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash boats and use promo code boats to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash boats and use code boats. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Well, the way you describe their attachment to Trump and MAGA suggests that it's that it's superficial, that absent the entertainment factor and the way it makes them feel, there's no real ideology there or no real sense of uh, of devotion or purpose. If if that's the case, does does that suggest there there might be a a breaking point? Well, I mean, MOG is a fantasy environment. It's it's a pseudo populist movement. Basically, the people who have created the problems in this country created a pseudo populist movement to capture people and tell them, "Hey, we didn't do this; those people did it." Right? I mean, it's complete fabrication, top to bottom. But I'll tell you the ingredient of it that goes along with what you're saying. People, and and you know, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a rally. I want to say it was a couple of years ago where uh, Trump basically left all of his like people at a rally to, you know, almost get hypothermia, like in the winter, like he just got out of there and they were left like standing outside. I remember. And people are like, oh, is this where people leave the MAGA movement? No. The thing is, they like being abused by him. 
And by that, I mean that a lot of these people, and this is part of the research I'm doing for my new project, like they are looking for the replication of the abuse that they've suffered at home, in their religious communities, in their communities. And basically, there is a relationship where they kind of love that Donald Trump doesn't respect them. You know, and that's one of the reasons why they don't expect him to do anything for them. They simply want their pain and their anguish to be projected onto other people. So there, there is a, like, again, there is a weird recipe here that's being followed that I don't know if it can be replicated. But if it is, uh, if they can figure out how to do this, I mean, it would get, it, it's already dangerous. It would get a lot more dangerous very quickly. Well, there certainly are powerful forces, which you've alluded to, that are trying to figure out how to pass the torch. You mentioned Project 2025. Can you give us, I mean, it's over 900 pages, so don't don't give us the, the, the full version, but what should we be most worried about when institutions, vaulted institutions like the Heritage Foundation start drafting blueprints to dismantle American democracy. Well, I'll just go ahead and say with a little bit of history that um, these presidential agendas, they started with Ronald Reagan. Basically, Ronald Reagan got inaugurated and, and, you know, he walked off the platform and he was handed a Heritage Foundation document that told him how to run the government. And you know what he did? He did it. He, he absolutely did it to a T. I think he carried out 70 to 80% of the agenda. And it changed America. It basically gave us the modern world that we have because a bunch of billionaires and all of their associations came together, told the president how to do things, and basically let Ronald Reagan go out and, you know, sell it to the public. Donald Trump got the same agenda in, in uh, 2016 or in 2017 when he became president. Uh, he carried out, I think, another 70, 80% of that agenda as well. Here's the thing. They were not ambitious enough in his first term. They weren't prepared. They didn't understand how effective of a tool Donald Trump was or how he was going to carry out their agenda. This is the fantasy of a group of billionaires and millionaires who have funded every Republican campaign and, by the way, have created most of the conspiracy theories and most of the legislative agendas that you and I and every other American has suffered from. They've taken over the judiciary. They're rolling back rights. They, I mean, listen, they want children uh, working across the country in factories and slaughterhouses. Like, these people understand what it is that they want. They're very motivated. And this Project 2025... It's their moonshot. They understand that getting Donald Trump, and and by the way, if any other Republican gets elected, they're handing it to them as well. Nikki Haley would get this, right? This agenda is basically like, it's it's checkmate is what it is. And if it's allowed to go through, and if if one of these people gets elected and this agenda doesn't get opposed and somehow or another put in place, it's, it's going to be a really bad situation. Do they understand that that agenda is wildly unpopular with the American public? And if they do understand that, do they care? Uh, no, they do not. And they do understand it's wildly unpopular. Um, you know, everything that they do, I, I, I think our media does, a, does us a disservice. The media basically tries to tell us that the Republican-Democratic split is like 45%, 45% with like 10% independence in between. It's not. The Republican Party is wildly, historically unpopular. The only reason that they're still a national party is because this country's institutions were designed to reward minoritarian, white, and wealthy power. The Senate, the Electoral College, the judicial system, you name it. So they do understand that, which is why they create all these conspiracy theories. For instance, I always try and explain this to people. This gay and trans CRT stuff, you know, kindergartners using kitty litter boxes, you know, all that stuff, that 
that didn't happen organically. It was designed in boardrooms and think tanks in Washington, D.C. It was, uh, you know, rolled out like franchises throughout the country in order to defund public schools, in order to privatize public education. Those ideas on their face are not just unpopular. They're only held by about 10% of the population, the people who are millionaires and billionaires, right? People want their children to get better educations. But they give it the cover which is why Donald Trump is out there talking about poisoning the blood, why we're talking about CRT, why we're talking about gay and trans people. All of that stuff is a cover story that keeps us from talking about what's actually being discussed and what's actually being rolled out. You brought up the assaults on public education, the imposition of a, a certain vision of morality uh, on, on public institutions. I would love your reaction to this video of a student taking on Bridget Ziegler. We've done a couple of pieces on, on this crazy story of the one of the founders of Moms for Liberty, Bridget Ziegler, her husband, I can't remember his name, but head of the Florida GOP, mm-hmm. and this salacious uh, <laughs> scandal that, uh, that they've been caught up in after years of preaching to other people how they should behave in their own bedrooms. I'm going to share screen and, uh, and play this and, and would love your reaction. Bridget, our first ever interaction was when you retweeted a hate article about me from The Nationalist while I was a Sarasota County school student. You are a reminder that some people view politics as a service to others, while some view it as an opportunity for themselves. On this board, you have spent public funds that could have been used to increase teacher pay to change our district lines for political gain, remove books from schools, target trans and queer children, erase black history, and elevate your political career, all while sending your children to private schools because you do not believe in the public school system that you've been leading. My question is why doesn't an elected official using our money to harm our students and our teachers for her gain seem to matter as much to us as her having a threesome does? Bridget Ziegler, you do not deserve to be on the Sarasota County School Board, but you do not deserve to be removed from it for having a threesome. That defeats the lesson we've been trying to teach you, which is that a politician's job is to serve their community, not to police personal lives. So, to be extra clear, Bridget, you deserve to be fired from your job because you are terrible at your job, (laughs) not because you had sex with a woman. I don't know about you, but young people give me hope. <laughs> oh, they do as well. I, you know, I spent over a decade as a college professor, and every single day, outside of being frustrated, you know, by certain administrative problems, which we don't need to talk about, uh, I was inspired by them constantly. I love what happened there. I love that this student went ahead and made sure not to shame the person for their their hypocrisy, but to go ahead and point out why the actual problem is, and what what happens here. And this is important because. We got really, really focused for many years. I call it the Daily Show effect. We got very focused for many years in always pointing out the hypocrisy of the Republican Party, right, and conservatives. Like, look what you said today, look what you did tomorrow. They don't care about that. They actually don't because that hypocrisy, it only points out something, which is, These principles are never real. They're not actual principles. They're weapons. The Republicans run up deficits. They're not actual fiscal conservatives. They're not social conservatives. You know, Lauren Boebert could not be reached for comment on this. Uh, You know, they're not interested in small government. They want government everywhere. What they are interested in is they're interested in a two-tiered reality, which is a reality where they can do whatever they want and other people are going to, you know, be put in their place. And, you know, whether it's the legal system or the government or 
economics, you name it. And here's the reason why. Deep at the heart of the Republican Party and conservatism is the idea of what's called a natural hierarchy. They truly believe that they are better than other people and that democracy gets in the way. This has been the same thing from the very beginning. It's at the heart of all the arguments we're having. This is why they don't care about giving up national secrets when Trump is president. This is why they don't care about running down America when they're not in power. It's because it does not matter. The only thing that matters is that they get what they want. The hypocrisy is just one of the features. It's it's not a it's not a way to like necessarily like, you know, destroy them because those principles were never real to begin with. You believe that we're living through an epical moment. Can you explain that and hopefully <laughs> hopefully offer a, a vision for how we come out of this stronger? Yeah, I'll, I'll try and do this as quickly as possible. We have been on this train for a very long time. Trump is a symptom of a much, much larger illness. A a healthy, well-run country does not elect Donald Trump president. You know, this doesn't happen. Basically, over the last uh, 50 years, we have watched a redistribution of trillions of dollars on purpose from middle and working class people to the wealthiest. We've created a historic inequality. Guess what history tells us? When you have that inequality, things don't work. Eventually, things start breaking down. And when things start breaking down, and when America, which has been completely co-opted by these things, and again, Midnight Kingdom, I looked at the history of corporations and the wealthy. You know what happens when they get that historic wealth? They start to buy off the government. They start to corrupt the government. All of a sudden, you look around, you don't have representative government. You have basically a tool of the wealthiest people, which is what has happened. We have reached a point where people do not have trust in this government. We've reached a point where people do not have trust in this country. Now we're facing a crisis in which things are not going to work unless something changes. So either we go ahead and we start making sure that people can live better lives, we start living up to those principles that we're talking about, and we create a fairer and working society, or the authoritarians who are backed by the same people who also back the Nazis and the fascists, because these things happen every single time the exact same way, they are going to go ahead and implement changes in this country that are going to make our lives much, much worse. The answer is this, and this is why I'm optimistic. You have people with absolutely no training starting unions and beating up historically wealthy corporations. They're holding up Starbucks and Google and Amazon. That you know, the UAW racked up like major wins this year, you know. Like on Which top cascaded. of it, it's it's a giant movement. And yes, they've done it without a lot of political help. You know, they've been political orphans largely. On top of that, you brought up young people, they don't have time for this nonsense. They're tired of it, and they're demanding things change. This looks a lot like the 60s and the 70s looked. We are sort of coming to this point, and the good news in all of this is when the authoritarian right does rise up in power and starts carrying out power plays like the one that we're watching right now, there is always a counterbalance. There's always a group of people that say, no, this is terrible. We need to fight against it. There is hope here, but it's going to take grassroots work. And it's going to take us realizing that democracy is more than showing up at the voting booths every four years. It is a lifestyle and it's a way that you have to carry out your entire existence. The effectiveness of that counterbalance, though, in our context, depends on democracy working. Yes. And let me give you the the terrifying case in point that we're living through in Ohio right now. We passed by an overwhelming margin issue one, which is supposed to codify reproductive rights in our state constitution. Do I need to tell you what the Ohio state legislature 
run by Republicans has decided to do with that referendum? Do I'm, you know the I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely shocked to discover gambling in this establishment. So that is the, that's the weak point in our system. The assumption is that if the democratic will can be expressed, the ship can write itself. But in situations where the democratic will is expressed and ignored, how long before the pitchforks come out? Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. One of my biggest disappointments is, as Roe v. Wade uh, was struck down by a stolen Supreme Court, the response was uh, not just inadequate, it was shameful. You know, basically, we have left uh, God knows how many women and people in red states completely without any representation or, you know, we're only starting to see the real consequences of this. Uh, you know, and, and I've heard a lot of strategists and communications people say, oh, this is great for voting. No, it's not. You need to take care of people. I also lived in Georgia for over a decade. You know who's exhausted? People of color in the South who have been working day in and day out to register people to vote. And basically, all they've heard is, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're taking care of it. These are things that have to be addressed. And this is one of the reasons why people do have a frustration with the Democratic Party is because they'll say a lot of the right things, right? They'll go ahead and, and tip their cap to like these things that are happening. They don't feel like there's any institutional push behind these things. So you do have people in red, so-called red states who feel like they've been abandoned because they have been abandoned. I think Ohio is a great example of this. Basically, because, of the, uh, because we don't have a 50-state strategy, Ohio, it's like, well, we can't do anything there. We're not going to use any resources there. Same thing with Florida, right? Like these are states that have just been almost completely abandoned because of electoral map. But you're right. These people have been pinned into these places. These legislatures have gone, they know what's happening. They know they're historically unpopular. They know this is their chance to go ahead and try and disenfranchise people and try and rig the game. And so that's what they're doing. And, you know, it's only predictable. We all knew this was coming and now it's happening. Can you talk about this sentiment you sometimes hear expressed from the left, in particular, elite communities on the left who say that those red states deserve what they're getting. There's even, you know, the occasional opinion that we should just let them secede. And every time I hear that, I mean, I understand the political argument, but I think about the people in those states who are fighting for their communities, who are fighting for their families, uh, I went to high school in Alabama and writing off a state because it is so thoroughly gerrymandered and voter suppression has reached its highest art form, writing that off because it's politically inconvenient just frustrates the heck out of me. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really frank about this. It pisses me off. I've lived in red states my entire life life. I know plenty of people who are trying their hardest. They're there because their family's there. Or by the way, they're there because they're cheaper to live in because they've been sort of hollowed out. You know what I mean? There are a lot, millions of good people who are fighting the good fight and they deserve your loyalty and respect and empathy. This idea of just let them secede or we don't need them anyway, let them starve or whatever, that mindset is one of our biggest problems that's happening in our politics. We have gotten the electoral college in our mind. We have basically said, oh, those people deserve what they get. Meanwhile, you're not looking at like how many people are voting against this and working against this. We need to rediscover, and this is one of the bigger problems of the last 50 years, we need to rediscover that we are interconnected, that all of us depends on anybody. And listen, I am so frustrated with people who want to write off red states. 
I'm frustrated by people who tell, you know, uh, gay and trans people that they need to be quiet. You need to stop talking about CRT and social justice. If you sacrifice people to this machine, the machine doesn't stop. You cannot reckon with them. The only thing that you can do is put up a united front. And it is way, way past time that we put up a united front against this thing. I'm glad you talked about those groups within the Democratic coalition that are told to be quiet, that are marginalized even within that coalition. Because my take is is just the opposite. When so-called culture war issues rise to the top of our political priorities, we tend to win them. Because it turns out most Americans don't like bullies. They are ashamed of their racist uncle. And they they believe in general, in fairness. As my wife often points out, just about every house in America has a gender-neutral bathroom in it. I think when those so-called culture war issues become politically salient, we tend to win those wars. Yeah, so here's, here's the great news in all of this. The Republican Party is genuinely upsetting. Like, like they lose all these elections because they're getting in people's faces and they're like, what about trans people? And people are like, good God, leave me alone. This is disgusting and weird. Thank God the Moms for Liberty put people off. You know, because they're they're just in people's faces. You're right. Not only is it a viable electoral strategy, also we have a problem. And the problem is this. The coalition or the supposed coalition that is opposing what we're talking about, this authoritarian right-wing movement, it is, it's a very wide umbrella. It goes from the left or the supposed left, what exists of it anymore, all the way over to never Trump Republicans that I need to remind people are the people who ran the Republican Party that became Trump's Republican Party, right? Who are trying to make the Democratic Party more like the old Republican Party. So what is happening in all this is that moderates and centrists, they don't really want to change anything. You know, they'll, they'll put up a Black Lives Matter sign on their lawn. You know, they'll post something that is supposedly, you know, going to show them as a good, thoughtful person. Meanwhile, they don't want critiques of anything that is actually going to make them uncomfortable or possibly, uh, you know, upset the, the privilege and the affluence that they have. This is a major problem that we have in our media. This is a major problem that we have in our political class, which is we need to understand, and, and this isn't a comfortable thing to say, and I really don't like saying it, and, 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 and just people need to understand it. When fascist and authoritarian regimes grow, that middle that we're talking about, it splits. Some of them end up against it, and a lot of them end up with it. Because they're, like, you know, you, you read a lot of things from the 30s. It's like, oh, God, Hitler is a brute. But I'm glad that he's opposing the communist, right? Like, there's a lot of that happening in this country. Our understanding of our politics isn't nuanced enough. We need to update it because these are serious times, and we need to get serious about it. I want to read for you to close us out one of my favorite paragraphs from your book and would just love your thoughts on it. You say, wielding the remaining elements of cultural Christianity, including its prophecies of hidden machinations and fear of persecution, conservatives have continually attempted to destroy liberalism, taking advantage of opportunities to crack down on individual liberties and reassert control lost in liberalization. Yeah. So if you actually take a look at history, uh, the founding of the United States is really weird. It, of course, was like a patriarchal elitist formation. But also, you know what? They recognized that 
religion had created years and years of of war and death. You know, they looked over at Europe and they they looked at the fight between Catholicism and uh, you know uh, evangelicalism, and they said, "We don't want any of that." And so basically, they tried to construct a system that could get beyond that. From that very moment, from the moment of the Enlightenment, from the moment that the idea of liberal democracy was supposed to exist, conservatives, and, and this is telling, when it happened in America, when it happened in France after the revolution, what did they say? Satanic conspiracy. The Jews are doing this, right? They've been against it from the very beginning. When it works for them, oh, absolutely, they love the will of the people. When it works against them, they want to utterly destroy it. And we are at a point where it works against them. They are looking to destroy it and completely subvert it. Jared, thanks so much for joining us. We got to do this again. Uh, absolutely. Anytime. I loved it. Thanks again to Jared for joining me. Make sure to check out his book, The Midnight Kingdom. The link is in the show description. Thanks for listening to Burn the Boats. If you have any feedback, please email the team at kharbaugh at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're always looking to improve the show. For updates and more, follow us on Twitter at team underscore Harbaugh. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. Burn the Boats is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer is Declan Roars, and Sean Rulhoffman is our audio engineer. Special thanks to Evergreen executive producers Joan Andrews, Michael DeAloya, and David Moss. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.